Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be episode 101 with entertainment lawyer Jeffrey Rose, who joins us this week to tell us about how he got his start in the industry, as well as a plethora of details on forming an LLC, deciding factors of an S-Corp, getting paid for your work, the intricacies of copyright law, and how to best operate under a work-for-hire contract. This episode's for you guys, for our community. I really hope it helps everyone who wants to be a proper working professional and navigate the mad oceans of this entertainment industry that we all work within. So take notes, everybody. This one's a total gem, total great resource. So let's begin. Have you been traveling recently? Uh, we have not. I've been kind of deliberately not traveling, but uh, we leave, I think, next week. Mm. Um, or the, maybe we're, we're, we're going to be gone most of May. Yeah, that's right. I remember you saying you were going to go on a long trip somewhere. We're going, we're going uh, Oklahoma and Omaha, Nebraska. Cool. And then we come back and we're here for like 10 days. And then I think we leave the 14th. For Stockholm, and then Dubai, and then the Seychelles, and then we'll be gone until like through May 31st. Busy. And then we got, and then there's like a trip a month after that going through. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's the way to do it, right? Uh, it is, and it, it's um, you know, it's one of those weird things is that uh, when I travel like that, I actually are, am more productive. Yeah, is because I'm kind of more focused, stimulated and, too. And uh, yeah, and it's all, all the trips have a little bit of business involved, mm. but when I'm um, when I'm on the road like that, I, when I'm when I focus on doing work, I kind of am hyper productive. Yeah, and um, then uh, I, you know, so it, it's just kind of one of those things you gotta. It, it, the more I travel, it seems like the more uh, productive I can be, even though you'd think it would be the opposite. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of opposite for me, but I guess it just. I, I think um, we work in different hemispheres, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like it, I, it, it's for me. It comes from even as a young attorney, mm. um, when you would travel for work. If somebody, you know, tech, you know, for lawyers, normally you bill um, even for travel time. So if I'm sitting on an airplane that I would otherwise not be sitting on, um, I would be billing that time. I love how you guys do it. And, to- and, artists and, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And well, it was, and, and, and you know, uh, I would say at this point, probably most lawyers, and when the firms I was at, we never, we never built, we would build like half, you know, we'd build travel one way, but not, not both ways. Hmm. Um, but if you were on the clock, you were expected to be working. So gotcha. if, you know, you didn't get on an airplane and sleep and bill however much, you know, bill. You know, four hundred dollars an hour in sleep. Yeah, if you were billing four hundred dollars awesome, an hour, though. you you had to be sitting there um, reading, and and it you know it would be one of those things is where you needed to be preparing anyway. I had a matter up in um, Silicon Valley where I I had a room at the hotel where they just set it aside for me, hmm. and, and I didn't I never checked in or checked out. I would just walk up to the concierge and they'd hand me my key. <laughs> And um, and I would, there would be night, there would be days when I would fly up there, 
um, spend the night, go to business, go to meetings all day the next day, um, fly home, stop at my office, and there'd be a ticket, you know, uh, taped to the door of my office telling me I had to go back the next day. And, and I, I would be in and out of the same hotel room like two or three nights every week for like two years. Wow. And, uh, and it was one of those things. But while I was doing that, um, I was expected to be billing the whole time. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty intense though. Yeah. But, but I guess that's part of the, the job, I guess. Did they explain that to you kind of? Was that kind of an understanding when you were in law school preparing for your career? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of work and as, especially when I was doing litigation, it was always, um, you know, there's a never ending stream of a work that you could be doing to prepare. There's always something more you could do to prepare. And when I was doing that, I was in litigation. So I was, you know, it, it wasn't a client who was ordering me to turn around and come back up. It was a judge. Mm. And, and, um, uh, you know, it, it, there was always something more you could do to prepare. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and it was, you know, for, you know, the hourly rate and as, and, you know, attorneys all we sell is time. So there's a limited, you know, there's a finite number of hours in the day that you can bill. And, um, that, that is how, how you generate revenue. You, there's no add-ons or you know, multipliers or anything like that. It's how many hours do you work and that's how much you get paid. Yeah. Hourly rate rather than, um, because we can talk a bit about the differences actually between our careers. There's a day rate and hourly rate and like a fixed rate and a project rate and all these different things. And, and royalties and residual income. There's no residual income on, yeah, on, on most, on most lawyer work. It's, you know, you, you, it's a profession and you are paid a reasonable fee for the work that you do. Yeah. And, it's, um, it's the nature of the profession though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something before we jump into. I'm kind of curious. You mentioned hyper productivity. How do you engage in hyper productivity? I'm always curious to see um, from different people that are managed to have a successful career or a successful path. And um, anytime somebody mentions that, I'm like, "What is? What's your? What's your path?" So, how do you get into the into your flow? Uh, a lot of it is just being focused on what you're doing and not and uh, you know not wasting time. It is um, having good work habits, which you know you you, you can develop early on, um, and knowing when you're working. I, you know, I I work uh, by myself. I do. You know, there's a lot of parallels between what I do and what you do, which is you know it, it involves a lot of sitting and thinking um, <laughs> yeah. at a very basic level, um, and uh, uh, it, it's a matter of developing good work habits. I you know. I could work out of my house, but I find it easier for me to focus if I have an office. Mm. Um, so I have a very short commute to my office, but when I'm in my car driving up to the office, um, I tend to be focusing on my day and what I'm going to, you know, what I need to accomplish. And then when I get to the office, I tend to be very focused on doing what I'm doing. Mm. And um, like I said, I build by the hour, so. If, you know, if I'm sitting around playing Angry Birds, I'm not getting paid. And, and, um, Unless your client's Angry Birds. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can I would tell you a story. I had an office once in a large law firm, and um, uh, the associates there would kind of look at me and, and kind of, what, what's up with this guy? Mm. And uh, I would actually get paid occasionally to do due diligence on a video game. <laughs> and, and that meant I had to play the whole video game. 
Oh, really? Wow. And uh, I would sit there and do these marathon sessions. And I'd have cheat codes and stuff, but I'd still have to go through the whole game <laughs> um, to see if there was anything that needed like trademark clearance or copyright clearance or anything that bothered me hmm. um, from that perspective. But these guys would see me in my office playing video games and wonder what the heck I was doing. <laughs> yeah, because that's really uncommon for uh, legal practice, right? Yeah, and this was a big law firm that had uh, you know 150 lawyers from hmm. people doing tax work to real estate deals and finance deals and very highbrow type of stuff. And there I was sitting in my office playing video games. <laughs> when did, why did you decide to do entertainment? Because that, that's kind of where your profession is, uh, your career is in, right? Yeah, I, I do mostly technology um, licensing and it's focused, I would say, probably 70% on entertainment. Okay. Um, video interactive entertainment, um, animation, and uh, what they call below the line special effects for film, for feature film, mm -hmm. and um, a little bit of other types of licensing. Um, but I was doing litigation, which was, I thought, great training because I got exposed to all kinds of different kinds of contracts and relationships and what could go wrong in a relationship and what was important in terms of you know, what would go right in a relationship and what would go wrong in a relationship and what was important to protect against. Um, but um, in Orange County at the time, uh, everybody was doing some sort of something related to real estate mm -hmm. um, and because Orange County was really growing when I got here. Um, it was probably one quarter the size of what it is now population-wise. Um, a, a lot of what people now know as Orange County as you know, sprawling suburbs really was Orange Groves. Yeah, I remember that. And um, uh, I was doing, uh, I was working for a boutique litigation firm. We were doing uh, what we call dirt and dirt finance litigation, mm -hmm. which is just a fancy way of saying real estate. Um, but doing like, you know, mega million dollars worth of deals that would go sour and um, be litigate or you know, go into litigation. Uh, the Irvine Spectrum, which is now a technology hub, um, uh, you know, technology coast, uh, you know, tech coast um, was just, just beginning to come up. Um, I may not remember AST Computers was there, which was bigger than Dell. Uh, bigger than um, Gateway Computers. It was one of the big PC makers was down there. Western Digital Hard Drives was down there. Uh, there are a lot of companies dealing with satellite communications doing technology down there. I was a young attorney. Um, I kind of got a sense at that point that um, I didn't want to be doing litigation for the rest of my life. We had uh, attracted some clients uh, that were involved in the technology industry. I thought that was really interesting. I really liked the clients. Um, it was doing trade secret, copyright infringement, a um, little bit of trademark infringement, litigation. Uh, mostly, it was, I really enjoyed the people. I really enjoyed the subject matter. Um, and I told my bosses that um, I wanted to focus on that. And there's, there, there comes a part when you come out of law school, what you need, you need, I tell young lawyers is you need two things. You need money and you need training. And the money is pretty good no matter where you work. So you should focus on getting the best training that you should get, that you can get. Um, and litigation was a great training ground. I had great bosses. I really enjoyed the law firms I worked for and the lawyers I worked with. I really learned a lot. Um, but after about five, six years, 
of being trained, you kind of get a sense that I know how to do this. I don't really need the training anymore. Um, and, and you want to focus on just developing your own career, your own clients. I talked to my bosses about, um, I thought the technology was great. I thought it was going to be a big, um, a big deal. I, I, I literally did look my bosses in the eyes and say, I really think these computers are going to be big someday. And, um, uh, said that's what I wanted to develop as a practice. And uh, I really thought the technology industry in Orange County was going to grow. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to do that. Uh, their business was booming as a law practice, doing the real estate finance litigation. Um, they, didn't, you know, they didn't see it the same way. So I decided to part company with them. And at the same time, uh, my friends who had been, um, uh, my friends outside of uh, the legal world, it uh, just by chance turned out to be people that worked in the video game industry at uh, Virgin Interactive. And um, I was the only lawyer that they knew. And I was actively and very deliberately concentrating, you know, that I wanted to build a practice based upon technology and uh, software licensing and kind of a little bit of creative stuff. Um, so uh, my, first, my first thing I did after leaving that law firm was to have a meeting with some guys from Virgin Interactive about uh, forming a company to create video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it took off from there. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's kind of um, – so just a little backstory too for those that, that don't know. Uh, I met Jeffrey um, at Creative Juice, which is a speaking event that – uh, Anthony Jones, aka Ro- Robot Pencil, had put together, and he did a really amazing speech—not not a speech, but more of an open talk, an open forum talk—which um, was more on the legal side of things. And I just felt, um, ever since talking with him quite a bit, actually, um, especially regarding some of my own things and questions, um, that it would be really amazing to have him on here because I feel that. There's tons of, of things for us to gain, and, 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 and I really admire Anthony Jones for being smart enough to realize how important it is to have you at one of these events, too. Not only for yourself, because you're able to expose your abilities and your, your trade, basically, to possible clients, um, but at the same time, um, help people. And I felt that you're kind of, the impression that I got from you is that you're very opposite from the stereotypical um, concept of what a lawyer is, which is usually like a soulless drone that's just like, <laughs> give me the money, you know, like, you know what I mean? Um, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, it's a it's a basic societal joke, basically. Um, but the things that you really brought up that are really interesting, because now you're talking about entertainment um, productivity, and, and, or not productivity, but protection. Um, I really think it'd be interesting if, like, from your standpoint, if you could somehow break down um, multiple diff- different chapters so we can maybe talk about intellectual property. I know a lot of people had questions about fan art and that thin line. You had some really great things to say about that. We can talk about IP creation and stuff in, in that realm too. LLC, S Corp, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is right. there is there a section that you want to start off with? What I'm really hoping to get out of this thing for people is to A, get to know who you are, and then B, get to get a little bit of a grasp on the basic legal language or understanding um, they should know to protect themselves and also to be aware of. Um, any Anything from that would be amazing as a takeaway from the listener. So whatever, that's more in the realm that I know that you're able to produce because your, right. talk, your talk was great, so... 
Um, yeah, and, and and that is where I kind of focus my practice is I, I tend to represent startup companies. I tend to represent um, kind of smaller groups of people. Um, and uh, I, that's the, that's where I enjoy working. Um, and I tend to enjoy, um, you know, a lot of people, I think I said at the presentation with Anthony was, is um, a lot of my clients, I'm the first lawyer they've ever had. Yeah. So part of my job I see is kind of educating people as to how to, how to work with a lawyer and what a lawyer can do with you, mm. <clears throat> do for you, um, and how they can be part of your creative team. So um, that being said, uh, I, I kind of thought of uh, three kind of uh, big areas that I talk to people about um, when they're, when, if they're going to be in a creative business uh, and they're going to try to make a career out of that um, uh, you know, the first thing I always talk to them about is having a plan um, to what, what is it that you want to do? And um, you should think very deliberately um, about, you know, what kind of business do I want to be in? You're in a creative business. You're creating properties. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, and uh, you can you can do that as an employee. You can do that as a freelance artist. You can do that as a as a company, uh, or you can do some combination of all those things. So um, uh, you should have an understanding about what it is that you're creating, mm-hmm. uh, where the value is going to be. Um, but you know, think think about it in very deliberate terms as to what it is that you're doing, and try to educate yourself as to. Um, uh, understanding what that is like and a basic mission statement a basic mission statement but um you got uh, an example that you can think of yeah it is well it, it, i can tell you is you know we talked about myself is, is you know I, I you know my law, legal practice is a business so um i you know at a young age had a deliberate idea that i wanted to focus on doing technology and creating you know, working with technology and creative clients um, so that's kind of a big term plan. Um, I think about, do I want to build a firm? Do I want to build, uh, you know, just something for myself? But I, my personal practice is, is that, um, you know, I, I have kind of a long-term plan. Um, and uh, I also have been very deliberate. And it was advice I got from some pretty smart people way back um, is that, at least once a year, and I, my practice is actually to sit down twice a year, is I kind of sit back and I take a day or two to just very deliberately think about, okay, where is my career going? What am I doing? Um, am I enjoying what I'm doing? You know, how, uh, you know is, is this the direction I want my life and my career to be going? Mm. And um, I, I very deliberately do that. I sit back and I take a step and I say, okay, this is what I want. This, this is, you know, the opportunities that I see before me for the next year or the next six months. What am I going to do to take advantage of those opportunities? Mm. And, um, and I do that, I, you know, I, I, for me, it's pretty easy. My birthday's in the summertime, so I do it once around, you know, Christmas, New Year's holidays, and I do it again in the summer when I, you know, it's around my birthday time. Self-reflection time to kind of focus Just on what time. you're after. Yeah, just a time to focus on, you know, what what are the opportunities that are presenting themselves to me? Hmm. Um, what opportunities do I want to go out after? Um, and what am I going to do to do that? You advise um, this to your clients as well? I do. I advise this to my clients. Is if, 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 you know, if you have a plan, um, you know, you know what, what is it that you're going to do? How are you going to make money? I mean, there's the axiom is if you don't have a plan as to how you're not 
how you're going to make money, you 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 likely won't. Yeah. So because um, it's plan, right? The vision. Yeah, have a yeah. plan. Think about what you're going to do. Um, the second big issue I talk to people about is is that if you're gonna if you're gonna do this as a career or as a business, um, you know you have to treat it like a business. You have to set yourself up to be professional, um, and that's what I talk a little bit about is. Um, you have to, you know, you have to uh, have a plan as to how you're going to get paid. Um, you're going to be a professional, so you have to insist that you get paid, um, and you have to, you know, you have to not be shy about wanting to get paid and and insisting that you do get paid. Um, and um, you should. This is where it comes into. You want to build a team. Um, you know, you need to have a you need to have a good back you know a good group of people that can advise you on know, all the things you're going to need. You're going to need an accountant. You're going to need an attorney, um, and you know a lot of people. You know, sometimes you could use a mentor. Um, I know Anthony does a really good job of talking to people. I think you, Ash, do a good job of talking to people about you know people who have been there before. Yeah, um, ask them ask them what they've done, um, how they've done it, but. Um, in this regard, do you need to set yourself up as a corporation? Um, do you need to set yourself up as uh, an LLC? Can you just do it on your own? Um, what types of relationships are you going to have with other people? Are you going to have business partners? Um, how are you going to do this? I guess that depends on your mission statement, right? So because it gets pretty vague, you know, if you're setting up a company that is going to need other people, then it, it gets more complicated, obviously. But if you're in the situation where I think a lot of people are that are listening are in the situation I am where they're a freelancer, they're self-motivated and self-kind of employed, I guess. Right. Um, the uh, One thing I'd love to, to kind of talk about, because I know you know in, this in and out, is uh, LLC and S-Corp, the difference and why to choose either one of these. It's, uh, the, the reason to protect, uh, you know, to incorporate um is basically, from my perspective, it's it's a, just a means of protecting yourself against um, very bad things happening. Um, uh, either a corporation or an LLC is basically setting up a separate entity through which you're going to do business. The entity will be signing contracts. The entity will be co- getting paid and collecting the money. And on the other side is if something bad happens, the entity will be the one that's responsible for whatever happened yeah. um, and not you. It's really um, something uh, of a if, – if you're going to be a, a freelancer, it's, it's really for protection. And it's an insurance policy and it's uh, – you know, you should – you know, this is where I advise clients is there's two things you can do. You can, you can form the corporation, you can buy insurance um, against liabilities, and you should be aware of both, think about both, um, and take care of both. Um, the types of liabilities, you know, it, that are going to happen as, you know, creative, uh, you know, doing creative projects is, you know, you think about it in terms of like a big corporation, if they make chemicals, you know, there could be an explosion, there could be a chemical spill, there could be, you know, some pretty obvious bad things that could happen that you want to protect against. They could create the joker. Yeah. And, and, and you know, so you need that, you need that shield of protection for that. Sure. Um, and, as creating, you know, creating fine art, you think, well, there, there, there's not a lot that can happen. And, um, 
and that as a practical matter is is probably true mm-hmm. um, but you know you are creating intellectual properties you are doing these for major corporations that are going to use it in feature films or other types of entertainment projects. You never know when something weird is going to happen and you're going to face a question of infringement, um, some sort of liability, and, and you know, just you, you never know what's not going to happen. So It's like a barrier, basically. That's how I look at it. Yeah, it, it's a shield. It's a shield. It's a it's a it's a cheap way of providing yourself some a little bit of insurance. Which you know, if you're 20 years old and you're a single guy, um, and you're immortal and nothing can touch you, you don't feel you need this. But when you start getting married and um, start having children, you need to put this barrier in place. It really costs. Um, the the cost is only like eight hundred dollars a year. That's for so, the S corp, right? For an S corp or an LLC, yeah, uh, it's going to be the same. It's eight hundred dollars a year. Oh, really? Okay. I thought it was a little bit less for the LLC, but there's a there's a little bit of differences. Um, I always have you know there there is a difference between an S corp and an LLC. Um, tax wise, there can be savings, but I talk to accountants all the time, and they say, "Ask me in five years, and I'll tell you which one was better for you." <laughs> um, the idea, yeah. yeah, the the, the growth. The, the, it's a nuanced type of thing uh, as to what the differences are between the two. Um, uh, an S corporation is a corporation. There, you, you form them the exact same way. All the S corp uh, designation means is that the taxes pass through to you as an individual or as to the shareholders. And so you're taxed as an individual even though you're operating as a corporation. Hmm. Okay. And an, and an LLC is basically the same type of operation. You you have this separate entity known as a limited liability company, but the taxes all pass through to you as an individual. So you get taxed exactly as if there was no entity, but as a legal barrier between you and potential liabilities, it's it sits there, and it, and it and it's it's worth the protection. It also yes. you need to. You know, it, it protects you from stuff you don't know is going to happen. Yeah, if I could jump in and just kind of do a quick case study because I had to deal with some pretty horrible stuff um, legally, and I can't name names obviously, but I can give a basic scenario. I was working for a very big company, and uh, they went bankrupt, and um, I was still in development of this project, and there was this whole clause of preferential payment. So I guess what happens when companies go bankrupt, um, the higher ups will see it coming, um, before, you know, people like myself who are hired guns basically. And they were able to see like, Oh, like, uh, what can, what sometimes happen is, is they can pull out a lot of money and just take the money and run basically. And so after a bankruptcy, um, like, the, the government or who I don't know I'm not sure who exactly brings up the case but they do a really in-depth um, survey of all the money and cash that's been exchanged and so what happened basically is I got paid so I worked my butt off and I worked um, for a couple months and um, and I got a lawsuit like I, I got um, everybody that didn't get paid they, they hired lawyers because these lawyers would go out there and say hey you didn't get paid 
if you hire us, we'll go out and get the money, at least a fraction of it. And you can just pay, we'll just take a slice off the top basically. And so, um, so, so basically uh, long, story, long story short, I'm trying to tell it without telling too much detail, right. but, but it was a fucking horrible experience for me personally. Um, so I got sued, um, for five figures. It was very expensive. Um, it was a huge amount and it, and it floored me because here I am just working and I am doing my job and I'm doing the best that I can. And then, um, because the company itself wasn't managed properly and they went bankrupt, uh, it became my responsibility. And because I didn't have a legal barrier, it was my own personal assets. My own self was at, on the line. Basically they were, right. instead of hitting my S corp, which is what I have now, which is my barrier. Um, if, you know, they tried to sue that and I could have, you know, easily just go, just, just dissolve it and go, right. okay, well, you know, like sue this company. It's not worth anything because I'm dissolving it. It's, it's gone too, you know? So, right. um, there's a way of out of that, but instead I had to fight them. I had to, I had to hire a lawyer. I had to spend lots of money and it was very uh, stressful for my wife and I to deal with it. And it was horrible. And, and so anytime I talk to a creative professional, I'm const- I always will tell them the story more in depth, obviously. But I will explain to them that it's really incredibly important. And I really wish somebody had told me about it. You know, it's it seems like a, nut, a lot, you know, $800 a year. Oh, that sounds like it's not, though. Trust me. It's, some, yeah, it's, it's somebody's not. Somebody's suing you for like $50,000. And that doesn't mean anything, you know. So Well, that's, that's – and, and that um – uh, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. The big exposure is the attorney's fees because yeah. lit- litigation is expensive. Very expensive. Um, and uh, it, it's, there's, uh, you know, there's good lawyers out there and they try to do it as inexpensively as possible. But it, it's, it, you know, you get sued. You know, I, I don't litigate anymore, but I had a client got sued recently and I, I couldn't believe that the, the filing fee as a defendant to a, to appear as, as a defendant was like over five hundred dollars. Yeah, and, and um, then there was the cost of just there's stuff you have to do, and <laughs> the cheapest possible way to defend the lawsuit was still going to be like twenty thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, and and it, it provides you <laughs> it you provides go, you that shield and. You're, you are protecting yourself. Um, I, I told you the example at uh, Anthony Jones's event of the client who was doing the concept art, and it was very high-level concept art. was never supposed to see the light of day. Yeah. Could you go into that and, one? Because that and, was a good um, case study. Yeah. And, and uh, the client was hired to do you know, concept art, um, very, very high-level concept art. Um, it was never supposed to see the light of day. But the client happened to be terribly talented. So he got hired by one client to do concept art. And I, I think it was like a space-based game. Um, and he was designing, a, designing a, a variety of characters, but ended up working on kind of the lead character. Um, and they liked it. So they, you know, they hired him to do some more. And then they dug down another level, another level. And at some point, um, they asked him to start doing you know, the character with different facial expressions. So they did angry and, you know, laughing and, you know, a, a dozen different facial expressions. And then a year and a half later, got hired by another client um, to do another character who was a, a Western-based game. Um, and it 
very you know still still very talented still you know the client that client loved the designs and dug down dug down and asked him to do um you know facial designs of the character angry and the the character laughing and the character doing you know another dozen expressions but both games are in development another you know another nine months passes and both games as a coincidence end up getting released within a month of one another and are on the covers of various game magazines and the concept art was so good that both companies decided to use that the concept art um again very high level never supposed to see the light of day they decided to include it as bonus material and use this as part of their release package for the games Hmm. so you had the space-based character and the Western character appearing on competing video game magazine covers at the same time, and it turns out they had the exact same face. <laughs> and, the, you know, and to cut to the chase, the reason they had the exact same face is because when concept artists you know, need to do an angry face, they have a mirror up, again, uh, up above their desk, and they look in the mirror, and they make the angry face, and then they draw it. And so you had a, a, a space character, you know, a space ranger with, a, with an angry face, a cowboy with an angry face, and my client with an angry face, and they all three were identical. <laughs> uh, but anyway, both publishers are now angry about the fact that sure. they, they bought exclusive artwork and it looks exactly the same. I would be too. And, and uh, I, you know, who, how could you possibly foresee that happening? Yeah. Uh, uh, but lesson learned, we got it worked out, um, and it turned into a funny anecdote that I think I use and the attorneys for both companies also use um, as, a, as a lesson learned. Um, but if it, if it had not gotten worked out, that would have been, that would have been not, not tens of thousands of dollars. That would have been at least hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of litigation. Yeah, and that's on the... Uh the artist is that what you're saying yeah they would they would have been going after the artist yeah and um so and if uh, you know so a reason to have uh a corporation uh would be to protect yourself from that yeah um and uh and and it's also a reason the insurance um just just to put it in perspective the you can buy insurance to cover yourself from that type of liability um but it's terribly terribly expensive Mm-hmm. I would, I would, uh, I haven't priced it. it. I haven't priced <laughs> yeah. it in a while, but the last time I priced it for a client, it was, uh, it was more than twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, it's really expensive. So, and I would think, to, and it, it would be based upon the size of your company, freelance. But even for a smallish freelance enterprise, um, I would guess at this point it would still be like around fifteen thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars a year for a minimum level of insurance coverage so yeah and i also discussed this is probably something you wouldn't advise because it's probably not good practice but something like i said for example if if the company if there's somebody trying to sue you and and uh you um, have the s corp in line um, and if the amount is very large let's say you know half your income for the year. Um, yep. That's what you're getting. So what you could possibly do is to get away from it is to dissolve the company. And if you're just like for me, for, for example, if I had the S corp set up prior to this whole bankruptcy and lawsuit thing, um, I didn't, I, I don't have employees. I don't have like a product or a warehouse or right. anything really tied into it. Um, 
I have, I can just move the money out of the account into something else. And the way that I navigate my banking with that S corp is I don't have a lot of money in there anyways, um, right. because there's no need. I just pay my annual uh, salary and then, you know, the taxes. That's another thing too we could talk about, but the way. Yeah, we- it, those, those are all liabilities. It, you know, ultimately it is a barrier against any kind of liability. Yep. Um, if you have an employee, uh, you know, if you ultimately have an employee and they get in an accident, a car accident while driving to Staples to pick up some supplies, you could be held liable for that. Yeah. Uh, if, um you know, something weird happens with your taxes and the IRS starts coming after the company, you could be protected from that. Um, if, you know, you know, there's all kinds of liabilities out there you just can't foresee, and this provides a layer of protection for all of that type of stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's just good to have. So, And like you, you said, it's $800. It's, it's, it's a same. very inexpensive way. And there, there's another benefit about it too, or, or there's a couple of them, is um, uh, you know, I talked about is you want to treat your career like a business. If you set it up as a separate entity, that helps focus a lot of people because you set up separate business accounts, you know, separate banking accounts. You have to file a separate tax return. Yep. There are very formalistic things you have to do uh, to be a corporation or a limited liability company. Um, and the, just the exercise of forcing yourself to do that is a good discipline to make you think, okay, I treat the business um, separate and, and, and it makes you go through that exercise of doing that. Yeah, and I think it also helps your mind state to realize that you are a professional. And for, if we break down eight hundred dollars in the year, it's sixty-seven dollars a month. It's really not that much money, and it's a, it just it totally saves you. And it's just a part of running and becoming uh, a business itself and yeah. setting that mind state. So I, I firmly agree and believe in that myself personally. So yeah, and, that, and that's that you made the other point is too is it helps you keep it separate because yes, um, you know, like I said, for me, I like having an office. I like having a commute. To focus myself and I can tell you I like when I go home I can turn it off <laughs> that's good um, uh, you know because if not when I you know when I first started with the internet and everything I would I would wake up at you know I, I, I you know I would wake up at one o'clock in the morning with a really good idea mm-hmm. and then it would be so easy to log on to my computer and start typing yeah, of course. And, and then look over my shoulder and the sun's coming up. <laughs> and and what, the good news is I just build five or six hours. Yeah. You know, the bad news is I didn't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, it, and it became very hard. You know, if, if I try to work out of my house, I have a very hard time turning it off. Yeah. And now that I'm married, it's very important that I do have that separation. Yeah, so. that's a good point, too. I, I have my studio in my own house, and it's right next to my bedroom so it is it's difficult and constantly being plugged in eventually I'd like to be a little bit more separate obviously but um yeah but it's a challenge though but i think it's a it's a wise decision to have an outside office i think my only fear is is i don't like commuting personally yeah i feel it's a complete waste of my time because like i've i've trained myself to change gears instantly yep so um 
What's I, I think I think I could probably work at home now, but I, you know, it's we're you and I are both very fortunate to live here in Southern California. So oh yeah, man. I, my my commute here. is the Pacific Coast Highway. So oh, that's great. Yeah, well then, it's not that bad then. <laughs> I, 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 there is a place for much of the year. There's a place where if I if I time my commute correctly, mm-hmm. there's dolphins waiting to say hello. So. <laughs> that's cool. But, that that's, works for me. Yeah. That's so awesome. uh, another thing about forming an entity um, is how you own your intellectual property. Yes, this is great. Let's segue so, into um, IP. Uh, you know, if, if you're a freelancer, if you're doing your own work, um, it's pretty easy. If you're creating original works of art, it's just you. You don't have to worry about owning anybody else's work. Um, on the other hand, if you're going to hire employees, if you're going to hire freelancers to help you contribute to your work, uh, to contribute to the work that you're doing for customers, um, uh, any of any any of those type of combinations, it becomes a little bit hairier. Um, and this is I can talk a little bit about intellectual property law and specifically copyright law. Yeah, let's talk about copyrights and patents. That'd be so. Awesome. Copy copyright law is really pretty simple. Is if you if you create something, you own the copyright in it immediately. So I'm taking notes as we're talking. And I own the copyright in the notes that I've taken in the couple of minutes, you know, in the minutes that we've been speaking. Because it's your time that it's, you've it's, engaged it's on my crea- It's my creation. Okay. I, I have, you know, cre- reduced my thoughts to a tangible form. So the, the stuff I've written, if I had doodling on the page, I would own the doodle. Um, and, and all you have to do to own the copyright is create, create the work yourself. Okay. Um, so that you have to be the author of the work. So now, if you're a corporation, it becomes a little bit differently because corporations are fictional entities, um, and they don't actually have hands to to write notes with. Yeah. What they, what they what they have are employees, mm-hmm. and contractors, and third parties, and um, other. They have to hire human beings to actually create the work for them. Um, so. In that context, there you get into the idea of what's uh, is called work for hire. So if you you are the employee of your corporation, so as an employee, anything you do within the scope of your work is work for hire. No what matter what, you, right? Even no if matter you don't what. sign a contract, if they're paying you for your time, whatever. You're is you're, that. you're an employee, a formal full time employee, or even part time employee. You that is consider work for hire and the instant you created the corporation owns the ip the moment you step off of or clock out and leave that building then you can have your own copyright is that possible? yeah and that, and that there then if you're if you are an employee under california law and most states have a similar law is work that you do that's not related to your employment mm-hmm. and that you do on your own time and with your own resources would not be considered part of your job what do you define, um, so let's say you do art for a living or design for a firm, and then you go home and you design as well for your own personal right. endeavors. Is that too close? Uh, it, it would depend, it dep- and, it, and it depends on the type of the corporation that you're working for. Okay. Um, uh, but I, I was going to go, you know, as, as you owning your own corporation, the, se- the, the second part of work for hire is that um, – well, let's go back. I'll, I can talk about that. There, there's a labor code section in California that says um, that the corporation can't own everything you do or your employer or whatever their form is can't own everything you do. 
Okay. So the division is, is are you doing it on your own time? Uh, is it related to your job? Um, and are you using your own resources, um, et cetera, et cetera. The, the case that makes the big dividing line on this is a case that had to do with uh, Sesame Street. Yes. The, the children's television workshop. It's the best. So there was a Andrew guy. And I watch it every day. Yes. <laughs> and um, there was a guy who was, uh, and I, I may be getting the details wrong, but I'll, I'll get the law part right. Um, is he was hired as a, he was the head character designer for the children's television workshop. And he came in with a new character for Sesame Street. And it, it, was, a, it was a big deal and everybody loved it and they incorporated it into the show. And then he came in and said, by the way, you have to buy that separately from me. Hmm. And um, I created that. My wife and I were out for dinner I believe it was for their anniversary. And he goes, I came up with the idea for that character while I was out for dinner with my wife on a Saturday night. Hmm. And here's the, men- here's the menu to prove it. Um, and he had a menu from a restaurant with doodles on the back that were clearly the character. And uh, you know, he could pin it down. Like I said, I believe it was his anniversary. And he could pin it down to the exact day and the exact hour. This is when this spark of creativity went off in my brain. And... Um, uh, I doodled this down, and that's where this character was born. It was a Saturday night. It was 8 o'clock at night. These are clearly outside of work hours. Um, I own this. You have to buy it separately from me. And, uh, of course, they got into a dispute, and they ended up in court. And the court said, no, 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 no. Your job is head character designer. You get paid a lot of money to come up with characters, um, and you specifically get paid a lot of money to come up with characters that specifically fit this world and this environment and have this purpose, which is to be, you know, they, they live and breathe and come to life at Sesame Street and their children's characters, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and they said, no, 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 your job is head character designer. That's all you do. As you sit around and you think up new characters and you get paid a lot of money to do that and we're really not interested as to when the exact spark hit you. Um, hmm. You know, there, you developed this character, everything came into play and you brought it into your workplace and you fleshed it out there um, and that is owned by the company. That is part of your job. Clearly, it's part of your job. You don't really care when the spark of inspiration hits you. Okay. Uh, so that's that's the high end of of, of the limitation or, or how open it can be. The other end is if you are hired, um, you know, at a at a video game company or an animation company, and your job is an, an environmental artist, and um, you are, um, you know, you get a sheet. You know, you know, once a week they come to, you know, you, bought, you have a boss who comes to you and says, we need, you know, 10 trees and 12 bushes. And you go off and create 10 trees and 12 bushes and hand them in. And then they say, okay, we need three cars and a mailbox. And you go off and create three cars and a mailbox. Um, and uh, you do that for eight hours a day. You clock in, you clock out. And then on the weekends, you and your friends are sitting around and you come up with the idea um, for an entirely new game, uh, completely different genre, completely different type of environment, 
um, has absolutely nothing to do with anything you're working on at your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would not be part of your job, and it would not be, you know, you, you used all your own pencils and paper and your own laptop. Um, that would that would fall out the purview of what the company would own. So a good a good visual uh, a good separation basically between right. the two things. Okay, but and if within you, if the you have if you have a limited job description and your you know your you know if if your job description is very broad where you're like lead game designer, pretty much any game design you come up with they're going to own. Yeah, that's, that's pretty broad. So that's actually a good thing to think about if you do take a role that is as broad as that and be aware that if you do want to do your own thing, that it could possibly be a clash of interest for the company that you work for. Right, and there and there are ways to get around that. Is Number one is be very, uh, we call it a clean room environment, is if you have, you know, buy your own laptop, buy your own software, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, buy your own copy of Photoshop. You know the the Adobe suite. Adobe, little yeah. Adobe plug right there. Nice. Yep. <laughs> do you, do do your own. Uh, you know, buy all your own equipment. Buy your own all your own software and tools. Do it all on your own time. Even at the studio. Yeah. Don't, or separate too. Yeah. Obviously. Don't mingle it with your job if you're working for a bigger company. Keep it clean then. And yep. also, are you thinking that when you go to sign this client agreement or the uh, work for hire agreement, um, like you mentioned earlier, there's a couple things that I think it's important for an artist to or a creative person in general to to have in their arsenal. One of them is an attorney. One of them is also um, an accountant. And right. then um, between those two things, I think. Um, so let's say you go, you have this amazing job opportunity for to work for a company you've dreamed about working with for many for a very long time. They have this big thing called a work for hire contract. They give to you it's 400 pages and a bunch yep. of jargon and you go, "Okay, I'm going to go hand this over to my attorney who's got my interest in in, in my in mind, right? Right. To protect me and then your attorney uh, will review it for whatever fee it costs and say, "Hey, I think item B, C, D and E needs to change from this because this makes me worried about your this and that." And then, um, then you go to negotiations and surprisingly enough, I've noticed my own personal self is that, um, these companies, even big ones are willing to negotiate, um, if they really want you, which most of the time, if they're seeking you out and going through the process of actually trying to hire you, they're going to work out the rest of the, of it to, as right. long as it's within re- reason, basically. Right. Right. And that, and that is uh, an important point to understand is when you're hiring a lawyer, um, understand that lawyer fees are negotiable too. Yeah. Um, you can always set a budget. Um, you know, it's, uh, if, if you're negotiating a contract for $5,000, it's not worth paying a lawyer $10,000 to review it. Yes, of course. Um, so you, lawyer fees are negotiable. Most lawyers will work on a budget. Um, but yes, you should, the important thing, and I was talking about as a professional, you need to understand what it is that you're signing and what you're doing. You need to understand what um, your contracts are going to say, um, and you can educate yourself. Use a lawyer to do that. You can. There's other resources you can use, but you know you or get you can a read ba- it yourself. Yeah, you should always read the contract yourself and um, try to get someone to at least explain to you the parts that you don't understand. Yeah. Um, and that includes if you're a big company, the in-house attorneys will usually try to explain it to you at some level. But yes, a lot of this stuff is. Uh, is something you want to understand, um, or you know, something you should be able to understand, 
Um, so go through the contracts, do that. Uh, they will, you know, you talk about there's always going to be a work for hire. It's called an invention assignment agreement. Um, talking about you agree that as an employee, everything you assign or everything that you create is a work for hire. Um, and then it'll have a portion on there saying that if it's not a work for hire, uh, that you agree to assign the rights because it's standard boilerplate. Um, I talked earlier about everything you create as an employee technically should be a work for hire, but this is all a kind of a very technical type of stuff. So sure. um, the, the second way you can get ownership of uh, copyright interest is through an assignment. Um, so it'll, it'll normally say you agree it's a work for hire, but if some court should somewhere decide that it's not a work for hire, you agree to assign the rights. That's pretty standard. It'll have confidentiality agreements, and it'll have a reference to this labor code section, which is, you know, to get geeky, is California Labor Code Section 2780. Nice. It'll, it'll have a reference <laughs> to that, and it'll actually include a copy of that labor code section for you to read because... By law, they have to give you a copy of that labor code section. Uh, and then it'll have some other language. Um, there'll sometimes be uh, non-solicitation clauses where you're agreeing not to solicit any of their employees. There may be non-compete language where you're agreeing that you won't compete with them. You should be very wary of that, um, very wary of these details. And, you know, as a professional, you want to understand what you're signing don't sign stuff if you don't understand it. Hire an attorney. Um, put them on a budget if you if you need to. Um, do you but, do like a retainer thing too for some of your clients? Is that kind of a possible? I, I do. I am pretty flexible um, about um, how I'll work with people depending on their budget and what their needs are. But um, mm -hmm. I generally prefer to work just hourly. Um, but I do do retainers where people pay me up front. Um, I have been, you know, I, I'm agreeable to working on a budget. Um, if somebody says this is all I can really afford, um, I'll look at it and tell them how much lawyering I can do for that money. Sure. Um, and um, uh, I, you know, I try to be reasonable because, like I said, a lot of my clients, I'm the first lawyer they've ever had. So I. Yeah, they're I, unaware of how much it costs. I, I, I am aware that part of my job is to. Um, help them understand how to use a lawyer mm -hmm. and that um, I part of it I view as an investment in helping to create a client that will be a long-term, long-paying client. Well, having everybody, all, the audience listen to this and you're kind of maybe to help you save yourself a little bit of time, could you kind of elaborate on a couple of things that you engage in when you have somebody, you're trying to educate somebody as to how to, to negotiate and work with a lawyer and how to find a good lawyer? Uh, yeah, I mean... It, Really, it's going. To, you want somebody is. I always tell people is you're building your team. Mm -hmm. So it's just like you're hiring anybody else for your team. You want to make sure you're you're hiring somebody that you can communicate with, um, how you like to communicate, um, and you want to make sure you have a good understanding as to what the you know what the billing relationship is going to be, how they're going to bill you. Um, I you know I am available. You know I, I've got clients all over the world. A lot of them I rarely ever speak to in person um, just because we're never on the same continent. And um, I am available by Skype. I'm available by email. Um, but I have a lot of clients where the only way we ever communicate is by email. Hmm. And um, so you want to make sure you have a, somebody that you can 
communicate with. There are attorneys that um, prefer to communicate by formal letter that um, prefer to have a lot of in-person phone call, you know, conferences. Um, uh, you, know, you really just have to understand how you want to work with the attorney. Um, like I said, I prefer to work hourly, but I'm happy to work on a budget. Um, and I'll, I, you should always talk to the lawyer about what are they going to bill you for? How are they going to bill you for it? Um, it's like and, really clean and clear kind of. Yes. And, and what are their, you know, get an expectation as to how much something is going to cost. Sure. Estimate um, and stuff. Get an estimate as to what it's going to be and what that's going to include. Um, like an incorporation um, is there, there are a lot of fees for, for an incorporation uh, you have to pay the $800 taxes up front. Yeah. Um, for an LLC, you don't have to pay the $800 up front. You still have to pay it. You just don't have to pay it when you time, at the time you file your papers. Um, and uh, after that, uh, there's a lot of stuff that is kind of, you know, just kind of boilerplate formatting. But mm-hmm. uh, I can give you a pretty clear estimate as to what that's going to cost because I've done it a lot of times. Sure. Um, and LLC can get a little bit more complicated because it's a different type of agreement, but I, I've done those enough too to where I can you know, kind of give you a pretty clear shot as to how much that's going to cost. Other agreements um, you can talk to, um, you know, like everybody will need a work for hire agreement, um, yeah. I, either to give to your customers or if you're going to hire freelancers. Um, the agreements look the same. Um, you know, we talked about the idea of work for hire. If you're not an employee, if you're hiring, um, if I were to hire you as a freelancer, or if you were then to hire somebody else to work for you as a freelancer to do work for me, the only way that the the, the work can ultimately be a work for hire in your customer's name is you have to have a written agreement um, signed, prior, signed before they start the work. Yeah. With the magic words, work for hire. You know, I, Ash Thorpe, agree that I am doing this as a work for hire for you, Jeffrey Rose. Um, and then it will be a work for hire, and I will own the, the copyright from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, so you will need that type of agreement. What I, I you know, I, at the Creative Juice Expo, um, I gave everybody a copy of a basic work for hire agreement. That's a really awesome resource too. Would you be willing to share that with the audience? Absolutely. Don't feel obligated. That'd be something that'd be really great to share with everybody. Yep, a- absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I and a, as well as a copy of a non-disclosure agreement. There um, you go, man. I mean, that those two resources. You know, um, you should send Jeffrey a thank you note if you're going to use those because they're really um, they're key. They're really they're useful yeah. um, and they're going to help you out, protect you. And, and they're, they're basic building blocks. Um, I can say this. Both agreements have been time-tested. I've been doing this you know, for over 20 years. And yeah. uh, uh, the work for hire agreement actually in the past year came back to me from a big publisher hmm. where they had, they had used my form to um, build their template. Very cool. Which, which was flattering. Um, but uh, anyway, you, like I, I, I was saying, is that you should get these basic agreements in place. And a work-for-hire agreement is going to cover the basic terms as to um, what type of work are you doing, um, when are you going to be delivering it, how much are you going to get paid for that work, 
Um, are you going to be getting just a, a flat fee? Um, are you going to be getting you know, uh, any residual royalty income as well? Um, it will cover who owns the work. Um, and that, you know, again, you want to have the, if, if you're not an employee, you have to have the magic words work for hire in the agreement. I agree. This is a work for hire. Um, if you're, if you're going to do freelance for third parties and you want to look like a professional, you should be, you should fully understand what that means and be willing to say, yes, I'm, I'm doing this as a work for hire and you're going to own it. Gotcha. Um, it will have the, uh, the kind of the belt and suspenders language about assignment. Um, the other thing you should have is if there's any work that you want to retain, you have to say that in writing too. Gotcha. So that has to be clarified. and That has to be very clear that you're reserving rights to that, yeah. that you're going to retain ownership of that. Or the ability to show the work and stuff like that. Right. And, and it, that includes portfolio rights, mm -hmm. um, any kind of rights to promote yourself. Do you, if you're working for a big studio in Hollywood, um, they will a lot of times say, yes, you can use this in your portfolio, but only after we release the movie. Sure. Understood. Uh, which is fair. Yeah, of course. And you should understand that. You should be, and you should be very discreet about how you use their names because people don't like name dropping. Yeah, even of if, course. If, even if they're a big company, they don't like it. Um, you should be very professional and discreet about how you do that. Yeah. Um, it will have confidentiality. I mean, if you work on, you know, some major projects, they are absolutely positively uh, insist that you have airtight security. Um, you know, that you're not releasing like previews of their artwork before they release their movie. Yeah. It's an intellectual risk. So, you know, um, so anyway, um, yeah, I, I've, you need to understand all of those terms. Uh, and if you're going to be a professional, you have to understand what they mean. Um, I, you know, like I said, I've got the template form. I usually send that to people. Um, awesome. no question, no questions asked. Yeah, you shared it with my wife and I, which thank you for that. Yeah. And, and um, and, and like I said, part of my job is to educate people so they can become big paying clients. Sure. And if it turns out to be me, awesome. If it turns out to be another attorney, that's great too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, you should understand your rights and you should move forward, you know, being professional. Sure. That, that's part of it. We have like about five more minutes. Is that okay? Yep. Okay, great. I know you guys, and you're sure you got some stuff to go on to. We had a couple of really interesting questions. There was, I want to... Two questions I'd love to cover is the difference between copyright and patent and when to use either. And then also um, the first few steps any artist um, that's in, uh, interested in securing a, a new IP and creation, what steps they should do if they're interested in creating their own IP or their creation and just kind of protecting themselves. We covered a little bit of it, but a specific path for that would be amazing from your own right. words. If you're creating your own IPs, there's two things that you need to know. It, depending on, it depends on the type of project that you're creating. Mm -hmm. um, it, for the type of work you do, Ash, artwork, um, stuff that's going to be used in film or video games, uh, content type of work, you're really more talking about copyright. Um, software, you know, you know, software, you know, uh, that type of intellectual property too, um, you're really talking more about copyright. Um, and like I said, if you create the IP, uh, the second you put pen to paper or you create it on your computer, you own the copyright in that work. Um, if you want to protect that copyright going forward, you need to put a proper copyright notice on it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you own the copyright, whether you put the copyright notice on it or not. That's but good it, to know. So like watermark and stuff. Yeah, you should watermark stuff. You should let people know that you're claiming copyright in that. With the um, little C, the circle, right? The C in a circle, followed by the year you created it and your name. Okay, that's and the definite you, information. And then you can it. also put all rights reserved. Okay, what's that's that not, actually mean? That is, uh, in the, in 90% of the world, um, it doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the remaining 10% of the world, that is a required part of a copyright notice. Gotcha. Uh, it used to be part of the copyright notice in the United States, too, but that was a long time ago. But it's just basically saying it's putting people on notice that I'm claiming copyright notice in this. Gotcha. And you, you can't act surprised if I see you for copyright infringement later. Because um, you've legally stated, like, you've, you ta- you've uh, date stamped it. You've put them on notice that you're claiming that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but you own the copyright whether you do that or not. The second step is, is that you can actually register a copyright. Okay. Um, that takes, I think, thirty-five or forty dollars, depending on how you do it. There's a website for that, right? And you do that online with the uh, it's Library of Congress, I believe it's copyright.gov. Okay. Um, it's a very simple. It's a one-page piece of paper, and then you file a copy of what it is you're claiming the copyright in. Okay. Um, now the downside to that is that you're making this a public record. Um, yeah. The copyright registration is really only needed if you want to sue somebody. So, um, and, and there's some benefits. If you register your copyright and somebody infringes after you've registered, you can collect attorney's fees and you can collect uh, statutory damages. Okay. Um, but you technically, you, you don't need to register unless you actually want to sue somebody. Okay. So my general advice is to people is make the decision as to how much money you want to budget for that. Yeah. If you're going to publish, um, you know, publicly release something in a way that it might be infringed upon, and you're going to generate enough revenue to ju- to justify, um, you know, I would definitely spend the money, because it does it's you know it's thirty five or forty dollars. Um, just, just do the, you know. How long does that hold for? Is it like three years or something? Uh, it's you no, know, it's your lifetime okay. plus a period of time. Oh, okay, that's so cool. It's like your life plus ninety-five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it's it's forty dollars. Go for it. If you're going to publish it online, if you're going to publish it as a comic book, um, you can do that. You get into issues when you're going to publish something as a serial sure. because you have to file a registration for every iteration. Yeah. Um, there's an issue if you're creating software where you really don't want to publish your source code. Um, and you can do things to cover up parts of it. Um, uh, we don't need to get into that now, but yeah, it's complicated. There, uh, it's complicated sure. but, um, different forms. So. Different forms, but uh, you can register the copyright. Um, patent doesn't really apply to the type of things that you're doing. A patent is a government-issued uh, monopoly. Um, to uh, protect an invention, um, and and it's talking about something, a process or a mechanical device, or something tangible. Uh, it doesn't really apply to artwork. You can do pat. You can do what's called a design patent on. Uh, they do that for like fabric. Yeah. Um, for clothing, for like uh, ties, like you know, clothing tie or women's patterns for, like, uh, scarves. Um, they do design, and jewelry, they do design patents, and that's 
uh, good for 20, 24 years. Um, but that doesn't really apply to um, stuff. On the other hand, if you invent um, uh, a, a new style of gameplay, um, something a, a technical invention, uh, clients who do you know did animation for video games, uh, did patents on the technique they use to digitize their 2D animation. Hmm, okay. Uh, so if you develop some new techniques, or as an artist you develop a new tool that other artists could use, you can do a patent on that. Okay. Um, that requires uh, a patent costs somewhere between seventy five hundred and twenty thousand dollars to file. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a it's a very lengthy process. You have to hire a very uh, a very technical uh, uh, trained patent specialist to do that, and you file that, and it takes a couple of years to get through the process. But then you have a pat you have a government sanctioned monopoly. Um, if anybody copies what you have the patent on, whether they knew it or didn't know it, um, for any reason, they still have to pay you a fee. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. And, awesome. Uh, so, I mean, for my creative clients, uh, some of my technical clients, I get involved with patents a little bit, but for most of my creative clients, it, it's all copyright and trademark. The other thing you should do is trademark law uh, protects your brand and your image. Uh, so if you create a character... Uh, and you're going to do a website for that character, you want to uh, register a trademark in the name and like any logos that you do. Gotcha. So, and I think uh, trademark law, I always tell people it's, trademark law does not protect people that own trademarks in a technical way. It protects customers. Um, so if a customer, um, think if, if you put a label on your product, the customer knows that's coming from you. And it doesn't allow other people to make money off of your name. So if I buy something that says Disney on it, I know I'm getting the Disney quality, the Disney reputation. I know there's not going to be anything kind of unkid friendly or suitable in it. Um, okay. and, and it prevents people from, uh, you know, from borrowing off your name. But that, that's another uh, big form of protection. If you come up with a character and a name, um, and an identity that has specific value that people associate with you, then you can register that trademark. Um, you can also, again, you don't need to register. You can put a, a TM on your logo or on your character name is an unregistered trademark. Okay. Uh, an R with a circle around it, like you see on register. Is a registered trademark. Mm -hmm. um, you can still, uh, you know, it, the registration gives you certain presumptions and you can recover your attorney's fees again. Um, unregistered, though, you can still enforce your rights. Gotcha. People, people can't make money off of your name. They can't confuse customers. They can't claim you know, falsely some sort of affiliation to uh, kind of build themselves up off of your reputation and your name. You can still, you can still you know, prevent that from happening. Yeah, because people do that. Damn people sharks. do do that. So yeah, damn them. The Diluting quality. <laughs> Damn you, people! Yes. Yeah. Well, so that—that's actually you know that's pretty important protection too. Yeah. So copyright, trademark, and then patents for different things. But um, right. trademark, okay, that's interesting. And the and the way that it works is interesting as well. But it, like you said, it, the moment that you go and you're on your own, you know, with your own stuff and creating your own thing, um, that you, you've it, it, the moral of the story is it doesn't cost anything to put a TM on your logo. Sure. Gotcha. It doesn't cost anything to put a proper copyright notice 
anywhere you publish your work. Okay. And then the, the last thing to do is have a non-disclosure agreement. And, and if, if you have an idea, um, copyright protection is pretty thin. It protects I, expression of idea, not the idea itself. Okay. So if you come up with a story or something that's really, really unique, but something that people could duplicate pretty easily, uh, you want to make them sign a non-disclosure agreement before you show them yeah. your work. Uh, and again, uh, trade secret law is pretty simple, is you got to keep it secret. Um, the hard part is you got to keep it secret. If you put it on your website, it's not a secret anymore. Sure. Um, if you make someone sign a non-disclosure agreement saying they'll keep it secret, then you've got the, all the protection you can do. You just have to use reasonable efforts to keep it a secret. Yeah. And that involves making, you know, before you go disclose it to a publisher, have them sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, it's important just to keep it. I mean, clients, big clients, small clients, I have an NDA. Um, anybody that I collaborate with on anything that um, needs to be uh, hidden or of secret secrecy is definitely the NDAs and that's a shared agreement between Right. Us and it's signed and dated and agreed upon. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and again, the main thing there, if you don't want to talk to a lawyer, um, and I look at NDAs every day. Right? Mm-hmm. I look at at least one NDA every day of the year. <laughs> and, and, and so it doesn't take a lot of my time to look at it and see what I need to see. And the main thing is, is there's a, in Hollywood, they'll give you a, a submission agreement, hmm. which is not a non disclosure agreement. What you want to read is make sure that the, the NDA is mutual okay, and it, that it protects both sides and that they're agreeing that they, uh, at a minimum, they're agreeing that they won't disclose your idea and they won't infringe on your copyright. Gotcha. Because um, the, the Hollywood studios, they have a lot of people submitting a lot of ideas. Sure. Uh, I understand that. Uh, you know, the idea of a hero saving a heroine um, is is not an original idea, but your expression of it is. Yeah. So, um, uh, if as long as they agree that they'll keep your idea secret and they won't infringe on your copyright, um, you'll be okay. That, um, uh, that's as much as protection as you can ask for. Yeah, sure, and that makes sense too. Which is, it's just part of that. It's part of that journey of being professional. Like you said in the beginning of it, this conversation is the moment that you decide to be a professional is the moment that you have to take actions like these. And for my right. own self, when I first started this stuff, I was, I felt overwhelmed. I didn't have any really, I didn't know any lawyers or anybody that really had access to them. So I was a little right. bit lost in this, but now that I do, and, and now that I'm able to be having you on the podcast, it's been really great. I hope that people that have, that are curious and, and are interested in this stuff. Um, is, would it be okay for us to share um, your contact information for Absolutely. Them? And if uh, I can send you the, co- you've got the two contracts, you can share those or I can send you copies again. That'd be awesome. Them. Yeah, I have them or you can send them whatever you'd like and we'll post them up on the uh, podcast in the notes section. It's where we share all the goodies for everybody. Okay. Little did Easter I, eggs. Did I answer your second question? I think so. The second question was more about like um, an artist. Well, the second question was they're both connected, but the difference between um, copyright and patent. And then you brought in the trademark thing. And then the other one was about an artist protecting their IP and creation. And you discussed the NDA and the importance of having an NDA. And that's why it's important to have an attorney um, because an, an attorney can either provide you an NDA or review NDAs to help you if you're trying, you know, let's say you have an IP and Warner Brothers is just like, hey, we'd like to do a meeting with you. 
And then you say, okay, I'd like to do that as well, but you have to sign my NDA, which is drafted by my lawyer and I, and you guys can come to a, you know, whoever you're going to be revealing this quite these, this concept of your film to will have to sign this in order to have an engaging conversation about it and all that kind of stuff. Right. And that, and that, like you said, that's part of being a professional. They'll respect that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it makes you look better. It does. Uh, so I would say that, that the, the last thing I would tell people is don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. This, the legal world is um, an area where uh, of ounce, an ounce of prevention is definitely worth a pound of cure. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, I, uh, I answer, I'm happy to answer questions all day long. Um, and there are no bad questions. I mean, you're not meant to know this stuff intuitively. Yeah. So, but you can, <laughs> you can, you can ask questions and there's a lot of times as I can answer it in two minutes. Yeah. And, and it's, and I'm not going to send you a bill for two minutes. Awesome. Well, you know, it's, that's, that's the reason why you're on this podcast too, because of how open and willing you are to share these things. I'm sure that you probably have understood that this has probably brought you better clients and, and people that are actually, um, interested in working with you probably in a more of a fundamental basis. I mean, you've managed to work with Anthony, so that makes sense, you know? Well, it's, uh, you know, the, the creative industry for me is very rewarding because the people work incredibly hard Mm -hmm. and, uh, generally speaking, um, and this is the last point I was going to make is the big thing about if you want to be a professional is, Understand that it's a business and understand that honesty and integrity pays off. Yes. 99.999% of problems can get resolved in a mutually amicable way, in a mutually beneficial way if both parties are just honest with one another and they act honorably um, and and reasonably with one another. Yeah, absolutely. You're providing a service. It's an incredibly valuable service. If somebody is hiring you, it's because they they respect your unique talents and they want to pay you for it. Yep. And if, they, if somebody expects you to do something for free, um, you know that's a that's a telltale sign. It's a disrespectful part of it's business. Disrespectful yeah. and and professional people don't expect you to work for free. No, and and that's part of the the mindset of a professional person. You know, realizing right. the cost of these things. And it just gives you value and gives value to the thing that you're working on, you know. So if you pay, if you have to pay your lawyer $5,000 a year, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. But by working harder, you're going to be finding that more, you're going to find a better client that will pay you better, more efficiently and everything. It's just a, it's a little hard to do the jump. But once you do it, I've noticed personally that it's worth it. So, yep. One, I mean, once you, and it, it's, once you understand the basics, you'll, you know, part of my job is to help my clients understand what the framework is. Absolutely. And then when specific questions come up, they can ask me specific questions. But like I said, I give away the formwork for hire, um, and most clients have me go through it with them for the first, you know, half a dozen. Yeah. And a- after that, they kind of go like, okay, I understand what, where, where I can vary this thing and, you know, what the alternatives are. I understand what they're asking me to change and what the outcome of that is. Awesome. So, and I, under, I understand I can make an informed decision as to <laughs> do I give this up or not. Yeah, absolutely. And that's important to have. Awesome. Dude, this has been great. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, a, it's been a thank time. You. You're, you're very welcome. This has been something in the works for a while now. So I'm really stoked that we're able to do this. So 
Well, thank you very much. It's been a great opportunity for me. And like I said, I'm happy to provide you those forms. And if uh, you want to come back and do this again about some other topics, I'm happy to do that. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely have, um, well, if like you said, if it's okay to share your you know information with your website or whatever, so that people can get access to you and, um, you know, possibly work with you on stuff. So that'd be really great to help people. So this has been a podcast for you guys, everybody out there could to help you guys better protect yourself. And um, yeah, I really hope this helps. You know, it's, yep. it's important. I hope I hope it's helpful too. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day guys. And that does it for this week's episode. Thank you to Jeffrey Rose for coming on and sharing his advice and time with us. You guys can find links to Jeffrey's contact information at the show notes at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 101. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter to get up-to-date news and information about the guests and all that good stuff. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Be powerful, be prolific. Peace out.